It's time for the 7th Avenue Project. Robert Polly here with a very melodious edition of the show today. Last week, leading up to the Monterey Jazz Festival, I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with one of this year's featured performers, the vocalist Gregory Porter. And if you haven't heard Gregory, take a listen. Skylark Have you anything to say to me? Can you tell me where my love can be? Is there a meadow in the mist where someone's waiting to be kissed? Jazz fans around the world are just discovering Gregory Porter. His debut album, Water, came out only two years ago followed by another acclaimed CD this year, entitled Be Good. The reviews were great, and they had sort of a star-is-born quality. But uh, that may be a little misleading, because Gregory is no upstart. He brings a lifetime of experience, both musical and personal, to his vocals, and a deep connection to the jazz, soul, blues, and gospel traditions. He's not just a singer, but an original and very sensitive songwriter, and we're going to hear some examples of both his singing and his songwriting in the hour ahead. Stay tuned. And, and in your lonely flight you So Gregory, your first uh, CD came out just two years ago. Yes. Immediately got a Grammy nomination right out of the gate. And the critics started hailing you as this exciting newcomer, but you don't sound like a newcomer at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, um, I had been singing the roots of the music, um, gospel and blues and jazz. And uh, somebody said to me recently, it's a a well-known performer, and they said, you were born a grown man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've been practicing all these years, obviously. <laughs> you haven't been sitting around. You come from the uh, the jazz capital of uh, of the world, Bakersfield, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, country Western. Uh, it's a significant uh, name in Country Western. Yeah, everybody thinks of uh, Merle Haggard, Buck Owens, people like that, right? Yeah, Merle Haggard has some amazing lyrics, by the way, which I plan to cover uh, at some point yeah really? i mean a song is a song is a song soul is soul is soul i mean it won't be you know okie from muskogee but you know <laughs> <laughs> fight inside of me <laughs> yeah. oh man that's great i can't wait to hear that um but tell me about growing up in bakersfield what were you doing there what was your um, life like yeah well my mother was a minister and, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm an old man, but back in my time in <laughs> Bakersfield, uh, communities probably were separated pretty well by uh, by the railroad tracks. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, you know, we were like uh, one of the only uh, black families in, in the area that we lived in. But our church was, was in, the, uh, in the black community and where my mother worked and, and worked in real estate and where she was a nurse was in the black community. And... Uh, I had a really rich uh, musical upbringing. 
in the way that in Bakersfield, the older black population are from Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas. Oh, so there's some serious roots there. Yeah, and so I I grew up singing, but I didn't know it at the time, but I grew up singing country gospel blues, you know. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Mm, bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Oh, no, no. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. Oh, no other name I know. And, you know, the sounds and the, the, uh, the deviation of melody and the, uh, the timbre of that approach to gospel music, I think it was probably something that when I first started singing, I would try to get away from. But now it's like the most, you know, dearest part of, of my musical understanding that, that, you know, I love it when I, when I can go to that place in the middle of Skylark, you know, <laughs> Skylark or in the middle of, you know, but beautiful or whatever. You know? Any jazz standard you can throw in some gospel yeah. Feel. Yeah. Well, that's in the tradition of the music, you know. Uh, these singers were were, were taking uh, music that was written for the stage and and injecting their life and and cultural experience into the song and and making it uh, making it jazz. Hmm. So that little sample of gospel you just sang, did you just pick that up by hearing it? Yeah. Well. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, I guess, you know, you you are taught songs in church, but um, I kind of probably came up in the traditions where you just sit there and, and then, you know, before you know it, you, you're jumping in, you know, and before you know it, you're soloing. And when you trade solos on this, on this, uh, this is very much in the jazz tradition, you know, there'll be a church mother who will start the song off and then it may go to a deacon and then it may go to somebody in the congregation. And I never, I never thought about how hip that was. Mm. You know, the church mother may sing, Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. The deacon may come up, you know, the next time around in the song, There's power in that name of Jesus. Oh, yes, there's power in that name. And then one of the, one of the, the saints, you know, in the church may, may come up with a completely different lyric that pertains to them. Help me pay my bills, yes, Jesus, oh, yes, he helped me pay my bills. And so it was, uh, and, and you just did it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I was, it's like I wish I could go back with, with a tape recorder, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's not only a great musical training because there's so much virtuosity in black gospel, but you get to see, I'm, I'm thinking, right away the power of music mm-hmm. on people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know if you wanted a response or not, but I feel oh, yeah, one yeah. because, <laughs> um, yeah, I think I was maybe five, and I was singing in what was called the Sunshine Band. I was just the, the children, and I, I had a red bow tie and a white cape, and I sang a song called Something Beautiful, Something Beautiful, Something Good. All of my confusions he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. And mm. it tore the church up. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> And I remember thinking, wow. I didn't think how, how powerful I was. I remember thinking, wow, this is music, man. I remember 
And, you know, my mother being pleased, and I was a mama's boy, so I was like, okay, uh-huh. there's a device <laughs> that I could get close to her with, you know? <laughs> Your mom raised you and how many siblings? Uh, seven other, yeah, so there's eight of us, five boys and three girls. Single-handed? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> wow, and she was yeah. doing real estate, nursing, and was a minister. Yeah, yeah. She was yeah. a very busy person. She was, and, and you know, this the odd thing is I don't remember her gone. I, I know she did, you know, private duty nursing at night, and, you know, I just don't remember her gone. I just remember her, you know, being there, getting us off to school, and, um, you know, being home at some point when we got home to do homework, you know, so it's like, but yet she was working all the time, you know. Mm. I said, you had to sleep sometime, right, Mom? <laughs> um, I wanted to play some music off your various recordings, and I thought maybe um, since you bring up the gospel roots, probably the uh, closest thing I have to that on recording is uh, a piece you performed in the musical, It Ain't Nothing But the Blues. And this is Children, Your Line is Dragon. Children, your line is dragon. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Children, well, your line is shown up dragging. Take your time right now. Children, children, ain't your line is dragging. Take your time now. Pick up the slack. Well, now, and you to the line. Oh, bring the word. Children, your line is dragging. Man, you, it seems to me that you were the perfect guy for that part. <laughs> you know, that's what they said when I, when I came in uh, to audition, and they hired me right on the spot. Is that right? And they hired me with that song. That, that was, song was uh, um, something my mother, uh, it wasn't a song. My grandfather, uh, who had 14 kids, uh, used, to, uh, used to beat his kids to this song, you know. You know, if, oh one, if, if one of them did it, all of them did it. So they all got in trouble. But anyway, my point was that um, I took that saying, which was a, a memory of pain for my mother. Children, line is dragging, pick up the slack and hew to the line, you know, before the beatings commenced. And uh, I took it and, and made a song in the tradition of, of that. So, that, yeah, I wrote the song and uh, from my grand, grandfather's whooping I'm- statement. I had no idea when I picked that to play that, that you had written it and that it came from that personal a story. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's really remarkable. That a musical, by the way, won a Tony eventually. But you were um, you were in on it from the beginning. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when it was when it first uh, premiered in Denver, uh, there was a version of it in Denver uh-huh. uh, before it came to to California, and I joined it in California, and uh, it was reworked, and I was put into it, and my song was put into it. Ah. Now, you um, not only were singing, as you say, blues-inflected gospel when you were quite young, 
But I understand you took an interest in actual jazz pretty early, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd that come about? Uh, you know, <laughs> not, not, <laughs> not, not to sound fairy taleish, but... Uh, <laughs> One day, uh, yeah, okay. when sitting near a recorder, um, I recorded this little song that I made up. And uh, once upon a time, I had a dream boat. Once upon a time, I had a dream boat. You know. Anyway. This my, is when you were how old? Like five, five, yeah, five or six, uh-huh. and on a little tape recorder. My mother uh, played it when uh, she got home, and she said, uh, said, "Boy, you sound like Nat King Cole." <laughs> and so then I, I was like, "Well, who is Nat King Cole?" <laughs> you know, so it was a strange name for me, King Cole, Nat. All you know, all of it was strange to me. And then I, I, I listened to her records. Which we were we were forbidden to do, but I listened to the Nat King Cole record, and it was uh, just came out beautiful to me, and came across to me a warm, rich sound, uh, very manly, and uh, I had a keen understanding of the absence of my father, and uh, I probably immediately imagined Nat King Cole as my father. What kind of father was the imaginary Nat King Cole? Well, he had these like dope advice, you know. He's like, "Man, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, start all over again." <laughs> you know, smile though your heart is aching. Smile even though it's breaking. And um, you know, pretend you're happy when you're blue. Uh, you really took that to heart, the lyrics then. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. And this is in, what, the late 70s, early 80s? Or? This would be late 70s. Yeah. Late 70s. So I'm just thinking your peers were probably listening to, what, yeah. like Michael Jackson? Yeah. Or, you know. Well, without question, I was listening to that too. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I had plenty of ears for, for music, uh, you know, a, a ritual for us as, you know, the kids in the family was to watch uh, Soul Train. Right. I was trying to pop my neck like Michael Jackson and sing <laughs> like that and... But we're also getting, you know, some temptations and shy lights. And um, and then I had, you know, an understanding of, 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 of Stevie's and Donny Hathaway's music. Mm-hmm. And, of course, always there was uh, music of Marvin Gaye and Lou Rawls. Mm-hmm. Really, Lou Rawls. I think about it now. It's like Lou Rawls was every day, all day, you know. Mm. So, but well, yeah. A lot of people have remarked that your voice reminds them of this wide range of people from that King Cole to Lou Rawls. Bill Withers, Joe Williams. I hear a little Sammy Davis Jr. in there sometimes. It's kind of amazing. But you must have been unusual, though, among you know the kids you were growing up with in taking you know older jazz like Nat King Cole seriously. That's mm-hmm. I, I think that's pretty rare. Yeah. No. I no. Absolutely. Even in college, I remember you know they would invite me to sing uh, for something, and you know I'd bust out you know with. Uh, I love you for sentimental reasons. I hope that you believe me. You know, they thought they were going to get the latest, you know, Keith Sweat song. Or, uh. Which which, which it's valid and I loved. But um, if somebody asked me to sing a love song, that's just naturally where I would go, you know. Right. You know. I was looking around in, in your uh, recordings for something that has the echoes of uh, Nat King Cole in it and uh what i came up with tell me if this is a good choice is imitation of life mm-hmm. is that is that one you would say that has some I'll, I'll, I'll absolutely yeah. yeah let's listen to some of that what is love without 
the giving without love you're only living an imitation an imitation of life skies above in flaming color without love there's so much dollar a false creation An imitation of life. Gregory Porter from his latest CD, Be Good, with Imitation of Life. So, yeah, um, I hear some Nat King Cole inflection in there. Yeah. The way you caress those notes, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm of the belief that Nat King Cole could have his own school of music, um, school of musical idea. You know, the way he would not hit directly on a note, but, Mm. uh, you know, slide up to a Mm -hmm. note and slide off of it. Mm. And, um, you know, diction and and phrasing and, uh, and really just, you know, deep emotional warmth. Um, Interesting... Enough is this song wasn't recorded by Nat King Cole. It was um, by a organ player, Earl Grant, who was noted for sounding a lot like Nat King Cole. Oh, is that right? Wow. Yeah. Oh. And um, and and this was actually the, the theme song of of the movie uh, Imitation of Life. It's for me. It's like if Earl Grant was in tribute to Nat King Cole as well. I'm in tribute to Earl Grant and Nat King Cole in my uh, approach to the song. Well, the music is, um, I mean, the musical tradition has those layers of people and contributions year by year. Mm -hmm. And it seems as though when you, a guy comes along, uh, you know, here in the 21st century and absorbs that tradition, Mm -hmm. it's like this, well, you know, it's reminding me of another song of yours about painting. Are you a painter? Um, I am not, and not in the professional sense, but I enjoy it. You know, I've been fortunate enough to travel quite a bit, um, you know, in my career. And I find myself, at the first day that I get somewhere, I'm like, oh, where's the museum? You know, uh-huh. I'm, go- I'm going to see the great paintings. Um, and, I, and I glean a lot from, from just standing there, you know, so it's been great. Well, your latest CD has a picture of you and... Uh, some people I know have seen this cover and not quite figured out what you're doing there, but you're holding a paintbrush. Yeah. And you're shot as though from the, the perspective of the canvas itself. Yeah. Which, um, you know, it does remind me of this song we're about to hear, Painted on Canvas. Mm-hmm. And uh, it reminds me a little bit of your approach to singing, too. It feels like maybe you are a colorist. Yeah. 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 So let's listen. This is an original, by the way. You wrote this. Yeah. We are like children, we're painted on canvases, picking up shades as we go. We start off with gesso, 
brushed on by people we know. Watch your technique as you go. Step back and admire my view. Can I use the colors I choose? Do I have some say what you use? Can I get some greens and some blues? We're made by the pigment of pain that is put upon. Our stories are told by our views. Like Motley and Bidden, these masters of peace and light, layers of color and time. Step back and admire my view. Can I use the colors I choose? Do I have some say what you use? Can I get some green with my blue? We're just like children. We're painted on canvases. Gregory Porter there with Painted on Canvas, uh, one of his, I think, nine original songs, the ones you've written on your latest CD, Be Good. Mm-hmm. Tell me about those lyrics, how they came to you. It's really uh, just a, a conversation about um, children, you know, they're the ultimate and unfinished paintings, and about ourselves and how we how we deal with each other, you know, uh, when, when somebody comes into the room, into a crowded room, we, sometimes we look at them because we're lazy and we just, we throw the paint on them that we want. We're just like, ah, that's who that is. That's what that is. But with humans and you're deeper than that. And there's more detail and there's more delicate, fine work that is required. And, uh, I try to, you know, leave it up to myself to be delicate and to use the right colors and to take my time and, and judging, not judging people, but in, in viewing people. In constructing a portrait. In constructing a portrait. And they deserve to have the opportunity to present the colors, not me, just that. Uh-huh. That's, that's, that's what it's about. So that explains the lyric where you say... Can I use the colors I choose? Do I have some say what you use? Can I get some greens and some blues? You know, which is a reference to collard greens and, and blues as well. But um, Oh, is that right? I thought of Miles Davis, you know. Like well, a, people from my high school yeah. think I'm talking about, you know, my high school colors, which was green and blue as well. But, you know. <laughs> Let's go back to high school. You were a football player, yeah? Yeah, I played. Yeah. You played for the, was that the Drillers? Well, no, that's... You played against the drillers. Yeah, I played against the drillers. The, ooh, why you bring up the drillers? Good. Just because... Uh, really, something just... Uh, like, something just, like, happened to my gut, like... Ooh. I'm sorry. I was in Bakersfield once, and I wandered, you know, around the high school there and saw that they were called the drillers because it's an oil town. Yeah. And it always stuck with me. What, yeah, a, yeah. what a name for a football team. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> so it was your team. We were the, the Scotsmen, Highland, Highland Scotsmen. But this is this is the dumb thing. I just was recently in in in, in, uh, in Scotland, in Edinburgh, and I was like, "Oh, wow. it's a great town! Wow, this is—they really were some serious cats. These Scotsmen <laughs> were, you know. Yes, they wore skirts, but anyway, yeah, yeah. I played uh, I played football in Baker. Bakersfield is a big uh, sports you know town, football town, and uh, and I that was a really you know great and and. And beautiful experience uh, for me. I injured myself uh, my junior year, very bad injury. In, in college, yeah. Well, no, this was in um, 
in high school, uh-huh. uh, compound fracture and tore up my leg and, you know, I didn't think I could, could play, but I really worked really, really hard. I remember the hours and time that I put in to get my, my body back in shape. Um, and surgeries, three surgeries uh, to get wow. back in shape. And I had a surgery right before the season. Three weeks after the surgery, I'm on the field. Um, wow. That's yeah, crazy. Um, well, you did go on to college uh, with, on a football scholarship. Yeah. San Diego State. Uh, I've read that you were a linebacker. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're pretty very serious about football. That I was. I was. And it, was, <laughs> it seemed like it was like a, like a major and an important part of my life. And then I injured my shoulder, and it ceased to be. I didn't play anymore. And um, my mother, I remember calling my mother, and I was, at the time, you know, 6'3", 250 pounds, and very muscular, and um, crying like a baby. And my mother was, you know, tell me what's going on. She's like, Mom, I I can't play anymore. And... uh, she was like, "Well, do you still, you know, st- do you still have your scholarship?" I was like, "Yeah, I still have my scholarship." Um, and and they don't have to tackle you anymore, you know, <laughs> and and, hit, and hit on you anymore. I was like, uh, "No, no, no, that doesn't happen anymore." And she was like, "Great." <laughs> <laughs> well, you were a linebacker, and the job of a linebacker is—I mean, one of the jobs is to lay some hurt on whoever has the football, right? Yeah. So how do we um, how do we square that with the sensitive, gentle soul who sings these songs? Interesting enough, my personality—I would—I remember, you know, hitting somebody and knocking them down, and then offering them a hand up. Uh-huh. It, it really was just sport to me. I remember when I got to um, to college, and I remember. Um, Al Luganville was the head coach at the time. I remember him making these speeches about knock him down and then spit on him. And I was like, <laughs> you know. And and I was like, wow. Yeah. And, you know, and, and he was probably meant, you know, in a, uh, he's, you know, speaking in, you know, metaphorically or whatever. But. But maybe not, you know. Everybody wasn't taking it that way. They were knocking people down and spitting on them. But um, yeah, I would knock somebody down and then and then help them up. Um, oh, a really yeah. nice linebacker. Uh, it, it exists. <laughs> <laughs> but if you hadn't had that injury, might you have gone on to a career in football? And would we have lost a a fine singer? You know, um, no, because I, I would have uh, been singing. Uh, no matter what, it was an important part of my life. I remember, I've, I've said it before in interviews, that um, I was in the locker room with, with Darnay Scott and, um, and Marshall Falk. And, uh, wow. You know, Marshall's already in the, the Hall of Fame. Yeah. He was a terrible singer, but he, he thought he could <laughs> sing. And uh, I remember singing around him. There was, But there were a lot of singers on the team uh, at San Diego State. And, yeah, that was an interesting time, well, I tell you. But... Uh, is is that injury and the fact that you could no longer play, did that precipitate a move into to singing more it seriously? Gave me, it gave me more time, uh-huh. uh, football being a really a full-time job. It gave me more time, along with my studies, to uh, to work on, on music and, and jazz. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I started to go to, to jazz clubs in the evening, and, um, and I started... Um, you know, going to workshops 
and I started, um, you know, performing more on campus. Yeah. And at some point, you were, I think it's the right term, discovered. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Who? What happened? Now tell me. Oh <laughs> uh, well, here's here's the uh, the story that's being handed down is that uh, Kamau Kenyatta absolutely discovered you. Yeah. He's a um, friend of yours now and an arranger. Composer. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Short story is that the the the, the great uh, trombone player uh, George Lewis out, out of Chicago. He was uh, teaching a class at uh, at uh, UCSD, and um, George had heard me perform somewhere and, and scat over, or tr- let me say, try to scat over giant steps. Ooh. And he told me, uh, <laughs> he told me, he said, come to my class. You know, he, he felt like there was something there. And um, he, um, you know, I know you're at San Diego State, but, you know, come come to my class and sit in anyway. And um, just that spirit, which is the same spirit that Kamal Kenyatta had. Kamal was substitute teaching for George, when mm-hmm. I came, George wasn't even there, and uh, Kamal pulled me aside at the end of the class and was like, uh, "Yeah, there's something there. Let's, you know, let's get together and we'll, you know work on some music." And um, and the first time we got together, I think he he printed up maybe ten charts uh, of different songs for me to work on in my key, and um, yeah, it was it was a great meeting and a great you know, the beginning of a friendship. And, mm. uh, so, yeah. So he saw potential there, but he also saw the need for some work. What sort of things? Um, well, just really um, listening to, you know, the great music that had been produced in America. But then, you know, let's check out Brazil and, and Mexico and Africa and the Caribbean. And um, he saw in me that I gravitated to music where I hear myself, it's like, oh, I, yeah, I started in singing gospel, but I hear myself in jazz. I hear myself in in blues, and uh, not that I would sing in the Brazilian tradition, but I think the ideas of saying something significant, something sometimes that can be kind of tough or or have a political edge or or a protest edge, also with a sweet Melody is something that I that I, I may pull from the, the Brazilian tradition. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Sooner or later in this interview, I wanted to play, I guess, something in the tradition of a protest song. This is from your uh, first album, Water. And uh, this one uh, comes in a lot of different versions, but I think I'll play the original version. This is 1960-what? What? 1960 who? 1960 what? 19... Hey, the Motor City is burning. That ain't right. 1960 what? 1960 who? 
The answer to 1960 what is 1967, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's just it. I'm, I'm, I'm saying so much happened in the 60s. Yeah, and I'm not even literally pinning it to the 60s. I wasn't born in the 60s, mm-hmm. but I have some understanding of that energy. 1960, 1970, what? 1980, what? 1980, uh-huh. what? And who? Because there were so many people, you know, uh, who were trying to stand up for something righteous and, mm. and kind of got cut down. And it always provokes a response, and uh, and sometimes uh, it's unfortunate. It's uh, it's absurd in, in both extremes that we would treat a part of society as less than, and it's absurd that 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 people who feel treated as less than, uh, in a way, self mutilate. You know. So, so the the description there is of the Detroit riot. Of 1967, but also uh, a reference to Martin Luther King's assassination in 1968. Yeah, yeah. Again, that was from the uh, CD Water, the first CD by my guest today, Gregory Porter, here on the 7th Avenue Project. And Gregory, you wrote that one yourself, too. I did. In that tradition of songs, the one that came to mind when I heard it almost immediately was uh, Compared to What by Mm -hmm. Les McCann, Mm -hmm. sort of a little bit of that vibe, both Mm -hmm. jazz and soul. Mm Mm-hmm. Of course, that era produced some amazing political music. Marvin Gaye, one of your idols, right? Mm-hmm, What's mm-hmm. going on? That yeah. was Detroit. Yeah. 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 So you're referencing history that happened before you were born. Yeah. And and it's not, um, for me, it's not unusual because that the, the legacy of that, that history really washes, um, washes me uh, by way of, of my mother and the things that she'll say and the way she'll guide me and direct me and the things she'll, you know, be on your best behavior when you walk out of the house. There's reasons why she says these things. I was like, why am I, why does she, you know, I'm over at my friend's house. They don't, they don't say, my mother, their mother doesn't say these types, you know, <laughs> you know. And it's because, you know, she comes from a history and, um, and a place where uh, she saw her brothers, seven brothers, you know, go through some real trials and, in Texas and in Louisiana. And, you know, it's something I really don't talk about a lot, but in Bakersfield, you know, that that transplantation of the South, um, when I was growing up, it was beautiful. I had beautiful friendships and beautiful relationships, but there were some ugly sides to to Bakersfield. We did have a cross burned on our front yard, and um, my brother was uh, was shot in the back and in the back of the neck in... uh, an all-white uh, neighborhood and uh, called uh, Oildale, and walking home from his job late at night, and and they they caught the guys and they they said that they were out looking for oh man to, you know for for a black uh, person and um and yeah, they used to urinate in beer bottles and throw them through our windows uh, every couple of weeks and 
And, and it sounds like something that, you know, that's 1960 what? It's like, no, it was 1980. Uh, yeah. And um, now that's, that's something that we were going through and my mother would talk about. And, you know, so the history of, of that and, and the, the things that she experienced, uh, it would come up in our household quite often because I didn't understand the burning cross. I knew it was bad. She, my mother cried. But I knew it was so well constructed. That's what blew me away. I was like, this is a bad thing. But it's so well constructed and so well done. They took time to soak jeans in kerosene and, and rip it and, and tie it around this cross with wire. And the, 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 the cross was handmade. And, and then they, they dug a hole and then they, then they lit it on fire. And I was like, wow, it's so well constructed. It took a lot of work to do this. That's the thing that hit me when I saw it the next morning. In your front yard? In my front yard, yeah. You were in a mostly white neighborhood? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Holy, man, that's yeah. just, that's unbelievable. It's, it seemed, yeah, and, and uh, it's Bakersfield, California, and, and, it's, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that's just the, the complete memory of my childhood. It was a significant memory of my childhood. What did you think about white people at that point? Um, well, my mother was, was so beautiful. Um, you know, we worshiped with, with white people and, and actually when it happened, some of our neighbors knew about it. It was, there was a, you know, the police came the next morning and I remember one sweet lady from across the street, um, she harvested her, her garden for us and she brought over a basket of, you know, like cabbage and carrots and, and to try to sort of compensate for what had happened, you know. Yeah, yeah. you know, I was and I was like, "Ooh, there's apples," and you know, I was I, you, you immediately forget, and you're like, "Okay, that sweet gesture, you know, is also prominent in my head," you mm. know. Mm. Uh, but so the yeah. symbolism, obviously, going going back heavy. to the, the to the heavy. yeah. Did but you were young enough, you didn't really necessarily know what they were referring to the history of the Ku Klux Klan. No, no, my mother, my mother. Uh, let us know what it was. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I knew it was bad. I just didn't know, you know, and I didn't have it all together, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. Uh, I knew that, you know, when they peed in beer bottles and threw it through the window, I knew that that was, it just didn't like us. Mm. They threw a watermelon through the window, you know. I just, you know, I just knew it wasn't, uh, yeah. Mm. I remember the police coming one time and the police coming, moving our bed to the center of the room. The, the glass had broken the glass, but it, it hadn't it come down on myself or my brother. And I just remember just kind of casually getting up and going to sleep on the couch and maybe them checking to see if there was any glass or anything on us. And the next day, you know, there was a, a, a board up to the window and, and we just kept kind of kept mm. moving. Mm. And and then I, I do remember just like looking back on it. It was like, wow, that was crazy. I remember the policeman kind of taking me into the living room. It's like, uh, Mm. yeah. Hearing stories like that, it always reminds me of how I think gutsy and brave it is for someone like your mom to even move into a neighborhood like that. Mm -hmm. What what led her to do that? Um, My mother was a woman who was always guided by, and if you believe, she was guided by, you know, spirit. Mm -hmm. And um, the story she told us is she was driving down the street and, she saw the house for sale, and God told her that that was her house. Mm. Mm. Um, she had moved us from uh, 
we lived in Los Angeles and lived on 36th in Normandy in a pretty rough neighborhood. And um, she wanted to move her children to a quieter place. Mm, little did she know, huh? Yeah, huh. yeah. And um, for, for the most part, it was, it was, man. The smell of jasmine, summers, paper routes, uh-huh. racing up the street with, with no shoes on. I mean, that's the majority of my childhood. Uh-huh. Um, but she was driving down the street, and the Spirit of the Lord told her, that's your house. She walked in. <laughs> she <laughs> rang the doorbell. And, you know, the woman lived there. And, she, and my mother said, let's pray. Wow. <laughs> and the, and, the, and they, they prayed. And somehow, my, you know, my mother got the, got the house. I don't know, you know. Uh, yeah. It's funny, the, the childlike sort of awareness that you just described to me of, well, this terrible event had happened, but you were noticing the craftsmanship on this cross. Yeah. That just sounds like a future songwriter right there, noticing those poetic details of yeah. the strange conjunction of things, you know? Um, yeah. Sounds like a future song to me, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm playing with it. It has to be right because it's a significant memory mm-hmm. uh, of my life. Yeah, the cross was constructed. It's a cross. You know, we're, my right. mother's a minister. It's a right. cross. Yeah. And it's constructed so well for so much evil. Man. Um. Getting back to your development as a singer, um, what are the hardest things as a singer to do for you, the things that were the hardest to learn? Well, for me, um, I'm absolutely a student of jazz still, absolutely. And I consider myself a young student of jazz. I like that jazz is in a place now that my learning is acceptable as new energy for jazz. Mm-hmm. I'm still uh, finding my voice every time I write, and um, you know I'm really considering uh, my culture and my upbringing, my mother, the things I've listened to, um, the things that have shaped me. I consider those things. If I have a contribution to jazz, it's that I come to it a little more organically and, and, and less technically. Yes, the, the technical aspects of it are, are there. I mean, you know, when Wynton Marsalis gives you some music, you have to learn it. <laughs> and um, that's a challenge for me because I didn't go to uh, a, a music school. I, I have my own ways of coming to music and, and writing music and and learning music. And it works for me, but... Um, the deepest challenge for me, I think, is just to get down to organics. Just because that's all I want to do hmm. is just to be organic. I don't think of the music as lines and dots and as a uh, academic exercise. It's an emotional and spiritual one that requires academics to get there, mm-hmm. but it's secondary too. The emotional and the spiritual and the the, and the, the, the content. Do you have any uh, songs um, that sort of illustrate that? You know, where you feel like you really achieved that? Uh, yeah, I think um, illusions. Why don't we play some of that? And this is another uh, original composition, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah, and this is from Water, your first CD, which came out in 2010. Illusion by Gregory Porter. I've been searching all the corners 
of my room Sweeping dust and memories Beneath the carpet Then we purchased Somewhere on some cool retreat Somewhere in Africa, somewhere I've been trying to catch my breath From the illusion that I lost it When you left me I've been checking for the weather And the time I'm like a bag that's dropped And drifting in the wind that blows From hurricanes that come just after gray clouds Fill my eyes I've been trying to find my footing On the slopes of the illusion That I lost it When you left me Like bare feet on hot concrete We have come to some division Based on pain from bad decisions Gregory, you didn't make that up, right? That's real. Yeah, no, I didn't make that up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, you know, it's funny. I was asking what's hard or what takes time to learn. And listening to that song and maybe comparing it, you know, to a lot of what I'm hearing like in popular music these days where singers are often trying to show off, trying to strut everything they have, you know, showing all the melisma they can pack into five seconds, you Mm -hmm. know, going Mm -hmm. to crescendos from the opening note. And that one is just so relaxed. Mm -hmm. There's an ease about it. There's powerful expression there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking about heartbreak. Yeah. But you're not crying. You're not shouting. There's this elegant restraint that makes it more powerful. Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes the lyric writes the music. The lyric will t- determine what you do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is a, a man who his, his woman <laughs> has left, and he seems to be the only one who hasn't quite figured it out. Uh-huh. I've been trying to find reality, a grip on the illusion that I lost you when you left me. When she left you, she, she left you. You know, there's nothing to grip there, you know. It's gone. And, um, yeah, so that was me at one point. And, and, uh, and, yeah. How soon after that happened did you write that song? I think I must have ruminated on that for probably a couple of years. A couple of years. <laughs> but you could still remember it enough <laughs> yeah. to write about it. Yeah. Well, if, if something worth writing about, then, yeah, you'll have a memory of it for some time. You know, not that many... Jazz singers I can think of were also full-fledged songwriters like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, in both your your uh, CDs now, um, three-quarters or more of the tunes are your own. Yeah. And then there's a, a few standards thrown in. Mm-hmm. That's pretty unusual. Yeah, you know, I, I um, in hindsight, when I, I, I look back at it, I was like, well, yeah, I, I'm not trying to break any n- new ground or anything. I'm just, that's just how it's worked for me and 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 I remember thinking about uh, you know when I was uh, going to record water I just want to be organic and in that I, when I was putting the songs together I was like well in order to do that I'm going to have to sing the things that I want to say 
And um, yeah, that causes me to have to write the song. <laughs> <laughs> what about the, uh, the arrangement as well? Is that something that you come up with as you're conceiving of the song? No, yeah, it generally all comes to me um, at the same time. Uh-huh. The way I hear is um, lyric, melody, rhythm, and bass line, and general idea of the chords in my head before anything goes to paper or the recorder or you know anything like that. The ideas for the chords can be changed, and in jazz, any one chord can have you know dozens of of different interpretations. So the minutia of that, I don't fuss over so much um i do get it out but mm-hmm. the initial thing that grabs me about a song is the melody rhythm uh bass line but the instrumentals that accompany this you know thanks to maybe your original conception this great band you play with and arrangers you work with right like yeah the aforementioned kamal kenyatta yeah yeah so by the time these are committed to cd you know, they just sound like there's not a single note out of place to me. Mm. Mm, I appreciate that, yeah. Thank Want to you. talk about the musicians you work with? Chip Crawford uh, on piano, who's uh, always instrumental in the uh, the genesis of, of putting the music together. Because, you know, I, I think I work closest with the, the piano player. And um, Aaron James on bass, Emmanuel Harold on drums. And when I'm on tour... It's always uh, Yosuke Sato, but uh, in the studio, there could be a number of uh, more horn players. But, um, but Yosuke is a great uh, alto alto player. Aaron and Emmanuel are both preacher's kids, so that's something that oh, we, is that right? Yeah, that, that we have in common uh-huh. in, in that respect. And, uh, and Chip has been playing in church for you know, and playing in the black church for for many years. And so, but you know. They're both my friends, and and you know, you know, musicians that you know we work together, and uh, they listen to the stories I say about my mother, and and they play mother's song respectfully, you know, like it's you know, like they know her because in a way they do because I've talked about her mm. so much on stage and off stage, you know. This is a, another original of yours. This is mother's song, and this is also off the most recent CD, which came out earlier this year. Be good. So, Mother's Song by Gregory Porter. Listen and gather round me, children, children of a mother whose life lifted up love. Listen and gather round me, children, children of a mother whose life lifted up peace. A mother who taught all of her children to love and be loved by each other. Holding your sister's hand as she walks across life and look out for each other. Carry your brother's load, don't you ever, ever betray him. Go to the store, buy grandmama a pound of We've been speaking about your mom in the past tense. Is she? Yeah, she passed. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. How long ago? Um, you know, it was interesting. For like uh, five years, I said last year, and uh, you know, I, I look up now, and it's 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 been nineteen years, and uh, and 
if I really dig down into my emotions, it's still very fresh. Mm. You know, Mama is Mama. You know, mm. she's always there. What's it feel like to sing that song? Wonderful, um, in tribute to her. And most often, when I sing the song, a new, just a new memory of something that and moment we shared with her that was just like really, really something. You know, it's mm. very giving. Sometimes they're given to other people. And the children, her children, sometimes we, we would make a sacrifice. And we hated it at the time. But now I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that she took food off of our table sometimes to give to hungry and homeless people. And um, one time she cooked Thanksgiving dinner and two turkeys, sweet potato pies and gravy, you know, all, all of it. And brought it to the table we prayed over it, and then we loaded it up in the truck, and uh, she fed homeless people. Mm. She fed, you know, and then brought the leftovers home to us, and then we, we ate after the homeless people. And at the time, we were outraged. What? God is eating after <laughs> bums? This is wrong, you know. You got eight kids, you know. I remember the protests. You know, half-eaten pies and, you know. But, man, what a beautiful memory and a beautiful thing that I think about now that I'm honored to have had that meal that was the leftovers of, of, of homeless people on Thanksgiving. I was just, I'm so honored. I really am. And it's not trying to, again, not invoke some, you know, fairy tale of a life, but it's, that's just, that feels good to me. And that your mom was able to do what she did with eight kids on her own. Yeah, and yeah. We were her work crew too. You know, we yeah. we you know, when she wanted to get something done, she's like, "I want to clean this house up." I know of a family who doesn't have a house. <laughs> you know, which is which is how I learned painting, lightweight plumbing. You know, really, how to hang a door. You know, wow. Yeah. Was there was there pressure being a preacher's kid to be? To be perfect, to be good. Yeah, there there kind of is that a little bit, but um, we definitely weren't perfect. <laughs> oh, tell me. Yeah, there's pressure, but we, <laughs> but we didn't pay any attention to that pressure. Did you ever get in serious trouble? Uh, I never got in serious trouble, but you know, <laughs> you gonna make me tell it like the family secrets. Well, my brother one time he smoked some weed behind the church. No. <laughs> you just made that up. I'm sure that never happened. Gregory, we haven't talked about your headgear. Yeah. Now, every photograph I've seen yeah. of you, every single one, every music video I've seen of you, you are wearing what you're wearing right now. You did not yeah. disappoint me. Yeah. You wore it today. Can you describe it for us? Well, it's a Kangol hat um, with the bill turned up. And that is? You know, it happened. I used to have it this oh, way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then... I was performing. Now that looks seventies when you. When well, you this is this is what happened. I was performing <laughs> with um, Wynton Marsalis at the uh, Apollo Theater, and this older lady came up to me after the show and took her finger and just tipped my bill. It's <laughs> like I wanted to see your face, baby, and I, you know, I've worn it like that ever since. But it's a it, it's a very distinctive hat. I mean, first of all, it's like a balaclava. It goes all the way around under your chin, right? Yeah. Well, so I, I and then this is you know a, an additional. Oh, I see. Those are, it's in two parts. Yeah, it's in two parts. Uh-huh. It's, it's a, this is my additional. But style. this is like super distinctive. This is a jazz hat. Man. I was gonna say like Monk had his beanies and his skull caps, right? Yeah. 
And uh, Dizzy for a time had the beret. Yeah. And was it Lester Young with the pork pie? And yeah. The, the great jazz guys. Had, yeah. So this is a, your signature hat. Billy Cobham. I mean, this. Yeah, Billy you know. Cobham. Do you ever take it off? Uh, I do when, when I'm at. Uh, <laughs> I don't perform without it. And you know what's interesting? On, uh, on iTunes, one of my songs, uh, Magic Cup, is actually called Magic Cap. For some reason, it comes up as. Oh, mag- it's a typo. It's a typo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> but we could call this your magic cap. Yeah, well, people, th- yeah, people think that Kangol was thinking about sponsoring me. So the discussion over the phone was like, so he's calling the Kangol his magic cap, <laughs> and it's like, no, that's a typo. That's that's. <laughs> but this is my magic cap. I don't know. This is my style. This is Gregory Porter. This is how I come. You do have a style. I mean, every photo I've seen, every video I've seen, you're also wearing some really fine threads. I said, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, so you have like relationships with designers and stuff. Well, I have a distant relationship. With <laughs> it's just all my uh, my gatherings. You know, I don't have a, a, any kind of spon- oh, okay. sponsor. At the but uh, does the music career pay for all that? Uh, yeah, and and you that's know, impressive. <laughs> Well, you know, I I I, I go and um, I, you know have clever ways to to you know find interesting clothes. Uh-huh. You know, oh, I'm in France. Oh, what's 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 behind those? What's in the this back alley in the? Yeah, no, no, I I don't spend a ton a ton on on clothes, but I think um, I do like to be stylish. It's really interesting. I never thought that I would be like recognized for my for my dress and for my ties. Many of my ties are like vintage ties. I I, I bought a bunch in vintage ties in, in Paris, and I can you can always find them in in New York. And but um, yeah, I got I won some award for like style icon of the month. <laughs> so, oh, is that right? I didn't yeah, know about that. Some, yeah, it was really interesting. <laughs> I was like, whoo, take that. But particularly for how I was dressed in um in the Be Good video. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, with the, with the ruffles and the the peach ruffles and the orange jacket. Oh yeah, you're very striking in this video. Uh, yeah. This is the video which I recommend people um, listening to this interview look up Gregory on YouTube and you can see his video for the song we're about to play, "Be Good," and also the song we played earlier, um, 1960 What. Really fine videos made by obviously talented filmmakers. Yeah, talented filmmakers that are my neighbors. Oh, is that right in Brooklyn? Yeah, and. Um, Produced by my dear brother, who's, uh-huh. who's you know just happens to be a, a, a very good producer and um, and a great actor, and some and many of the actors in the in the video are uh, my friends, but professional actors, and um, yeah, just you know everybody working to uh, to the betterment of Greg Reporter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hear "Be Good" again from your most recent album of the same name. Her name, and I sing my lion song and brush my mane. She would, and she could, so she pulled my lion's tail and caused me pain. She said lions are made for cages 
just to look at in delight You dare not let them walk around Cause they might just bite She knows what she does When she dances round my cage And says her name Be good, be good Be good is her name I trim my lion's claws And I, and I cut my mane And I would if I could. Gregory, you gotta say, I just love that moment where the horns come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're gonna have to talk about those lyrics. This is mm-hmm. kind of a fairy tale sort of uh, yeah. feeling to it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lullaby, uh-huh. and um, it's it's a grown man's lullaby that I wrote for myself. Um, the lyric came to me as I was riding home on my bike from being dumped, basically, from a breakup and um, describing uh, my feelings of, of being put in this cage in a way, this, how should we say, friendship cage or, you know, she admired me greatly and would sometimes open the door, <laughs> but often spent most of her time dancing around my cage. Um, and, it, you know, so to speak, you know, metaphorically. Uh, making the line crazy, kind of. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, and uh, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I wrote it of our way home uh, from, from, yeah, from that uh, that situation. Yeah, we're, we're friends and... Uh, you know that's the the emotion. That's the feeling I had mm. at the time, mm. and uh, yeah, she said lions are made for cages just to look at in delight. You dare not let them walk around because they might just bite. You know, I didn't want to bite her. I wanted to eh, maybe no. I wanted to <laughs> just get close. And um, sometimes we could. Most times we couldn't. Mm. And that's the result of mm. my little broken heart. When you put so much. Um personal history into a song making it that specific do people come up to you and say oh boy i so identify with that yeah man as you know yeah, this is interesting this is the interesting thing about this song in particular kids love it mm-hmm. and men love it you know mm-hmm. yeah it's, <laughs> but like tough guys you know yo man that's me that's my story right there. You know, I'm going through that right now. You know, I'm, I live in Bed-Stuy. And cats, there's some cats, you know, I've been walking, been in the neighborhood for like, you know, eight years now. And they didn't know I was a, a musician. And sometimes they, they come across the song and then that's how they come come at me, you know. Uh-huh. This is Bed-Stuy, the, the capital of hip hop. and, and uh, That's right, yeah. And they're like, yeah, man, that, that'd be good. It's Mm-hmm. You got me there. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's really interesting. Well, you know, men uh, are capable, tough guys are ca- capable of being really sensitive if you let them be a lion. Right. Like That's, an injured lion or this, a hurt this, lion. This is my point. This is my point. I'm still a lion, but but I was able to express my vulnerability and desire you know, to be with this woman in the song. I would if I could, but that woman just treats me the same. you know. And again, I recommend the... Uh, 
the video, uh, which was directed by, you say, your neighbor, Pierre... Pierre, Pierre Benou, yes. Benou, he, he, for he, Be Good. Yeah, he lives in uh, Baltimore now, but he was uh, our neighbor, and he used to DJ um, at my brother's coffee shop, which was a block away from the house. It's all very, very, you know, happens very close, you know. A Magic Cup, the, the song we were talking about earlier, was, was written in my brother's coffee shop, which is about coffee, or the girl who worked behind the counter. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't figure it out. <laughs> well, Gregory, we've talked a lot about singing, um, and we talked about songwriting, but we haven't talked about another element of your artistic career, which is acting. Mm-hmm. We, we mentioned the um, production of It Ain't Nothing But the Blues, which, which you were in um, was like the mid-90s through about 2000. Mm-hmm. You also had a one-man uh, play about your relationship to Nat King Cole mm-hmm. that you wrote yourself, yeah? Yeah. Uh, essentially, I drove the story, but but there was a ten uh, year old actor who who played me as a young boy. Oh, so it wasn't a one man show. Yeah, and and when we performed it at the Denver Center, uh, Eloise Laws, the, the the great singer, and, and the, yeah, and wife of Hubert Laws. Well, well, uh, Hubert's sister. Oh, sister of Hubert Hubert's Laws. sister, the, and the Hubert. Has there's a whole bunch of laws that are great. <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole bunch of laws that are very wonderful. Um. Um, yeah, Hub- uh, Hubert's sister, uh, Eloise, and uh, was was in a play who plays my mother, and um, my brother, who's a happens to be a professional actor and has a very intimate knowledge of my father, played my father. Wow! And looks like my father. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I I said it wrong. Not a one man play, but autobiographical. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Uh-huh. And um, uh, it was beautiful. And a great learning experience doing a show that was so personal because in that I realized that the more personal your story, in a way, the more universal it can be. This was a very specific story about a father not being there or available. And the interesting responses that I got, everybody has something with their father, whether he's even there every day, but emotionally absent. And so I had some really extraordinary uh, responses from the show. And, and, you know, I think one of the reviewers called it an hour and 45 minutes of therapy. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, good therapy. And it, and it definitely was for me. And, um, but, you know, 800 people a night for a couple of months was extraordinary. Yeah. You just uh, spoke one of the great truths of art, too. Uh, the more personal it is, the more universal. Yeah. Takes some people a long time to discover that. Did you know that right off the bat? Well, I was almost there was at one point I was like, why would anybody care about me in this story? And then all of a sudden, once I brought it to people, um, they saw themselves in me, and that's that that was that was the thing. another element that I just learned about art and, and the craft and, you know, really, really something. Hmm. And you've done other acting uh, roles as well? I have, yeah. I've done some some, some Shakespeare and I've done... Uh, Shakespeare, what? Um, Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night. Yeah. And I did um, some other uh, straight plays and, and some musicals for sure, some other blues musicals and, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I love theater. Does I that come a, naturally a, a for you? A doo-wop musical. Um yeah, you know, I've I've had 
some directors uh, say that uh, mm. you, you know you're a natural. I have I've had some training, but um, most of it is you know again that trying to come from an organic place. Yeah. Let's hear another song. And I've been playing a lot of ballads and softer songs, um, but I'd want to show the audience that you can uh, you know cut loose when the occasion calls for it. All right. So I thought I'd play work song. All right, on. work song by Nat Adderley with lyrics by Oscar Brown Jr. Breaking humming rocks on a chain gang Breaking rocks and serving my time Breaking rocks out here on a chain gang Cause I've been convicted of crime Hold it steady right there, let me hit it Well, I reckon that ought to get it I've been working, I've been working And I still got some time to long ago Been convicted of crime, what I've needed The crime of being hungry and poor Left the grocery store man bleeding When it caught me robbing the store Hold it steady right there, let me hit it Well, I reckon that ought to get it I've been working, I've been working And I still got some terribly long to go Heard the judge say five years hard labor On a chain gang, you've got to go Heard that dirty judge say five years hard labor Heard my woman scream, Lordy no So, Gregory, tell me about uh, your set at um, the Monterey Jazz Festival. This is your first time there, yeah? Yeah, this is my first time. I'm excited about it. Uh, I've known about it and heard about it the entirety of my life. Are you bringing the same ensemble that you've recorded with and worked with? For um, I wish years? I could have. I, I wish I could have the whole of the horn crew, but uh, I, I just have one horn, and but that, which is more than sufficient. Uh, we've traveled the world uh, just as we are. Piano, bass, drums, and alto saxophone. Yeah, I'll I'll come with uh, with music uh, from uh, both of the albums. So they'll be hearing some of the songs we've been playing in this yeah, interview today. Absolutely, be good. Um, and there may be something from you know some future uh, thing that I'm working on. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure it will be. <laughs> well, I'm wondering. I mean, feel free to say no to this request, but I was just thinking maybe we could finish off by just hearing you right now. Is it possible to, to sing a little something right now? Uh, yeah. There was a boy, very strange, enchanted boy. They say he wandered very far, very far over land and sea. A little shy. And sad of I, but very wise was he. And then one day, a magic day, he passed my way. And as we spoke of many things, fools and kings, this he said to me. The greatest thing you'll ever learn. It's just to love and be, be loved in return. Wow. 
Oh, boy. Nature boy. <laughs> oh, Gregory, when I heard you were a Nat King Cole fan, I immediately thought of that song and thought of you singing it. So yeah. thank you so much. Right on, man. Thank you. Oh, that was wonderful. It's been a pleasure. Gregory Porter on the 7th Avenue Project. And that is it for this week's show. I'm Robert Polly, and I'll be back next week. You can always listen to past shows and learn more online at 7thAvenueProject.com. Check it out.